friends, welcome back to Marketing Sweats. Today, I'm talking to Pella Windows and Door CMO, Emily Vedetto, longtime marketer in the building construction materials industry. I found Emily through a coworker that felt we had a lot in common, and he was right. Emily and I covered a lot of ground in this conversation. For me, deciding to bring on a brand side marketer to the show requires a couple criteria. First, I want to believe these folks are building cutting-edge strategies, leveraging both strong strategic planning and powerful data and technology execution. And on that point, Emily blew me away with all the priorities she's keeping in focus. But second, I love to find clients that stand for something. I've had guests join me on the show that love branding, globalization, and even innovation. And Emily spoke about all of these things. But what stood out to me the most was her passion for leading her team. It's a large team, actually, and one that I think many marketers should be looking to model. She's got all the key disciplines rallied together to serve the customer in new and interesting ways. As a graduate of Indiana's Kelly School of Business and a certificate holder from Harvard Business School, you'll instantly recognize Emily's smarts. But I hope you also listen for her strategies. She's working to cascade information inside and outside the organization in really powerful ways. I'm excited to have met Emily, and I can't wait to share the conversation with you. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure to meet you, a real honor to meet the CMO of a brand like Pella. I'd love it if you could start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your professional journey. How'd you get started and how'd you end up at Pella? First off, it's great to spend some time with you this morning. Really looking forward to our dialogue. So take a big step back to the beginning of my career. I had aspirations of going to law school and had an English and business major and ended up landing an opportunity at a major building materials company, GAF, and had the opportunity to work directly for the CMO. So unorthodox, Mm -hmm. a brilliant man who came from a really heavy CPG background. I jumped at the chance, not knowing anything about building materials, especially roofing. I was living in Hoboken at the time, did not own a house, lived in a condo. So started my career there and really cut my teeth with financial management, competitive intelligence, and marketing analytics at the beginning, and then progressed up throughout the organization in product management and managing a variety of different lines, including our high-end shingle lines, and then took on market development and new product development, moved into innovation, and then ended up culminating my time at GAF as a VP of our residential marketing, which is our our big segment of the business. Great opportunities. As a young marketer, many of us don't have the opportunity to deal with financials and product management and innovation. So that really set you on a trajectory to really have a vision of how you view marketing. There are some people that get pigeonholed into really specific verticals of marketing. I had a unique opportunity to really span the entirety of general management, not just, again, pretty pictures and and great visuals, which, by the way, are really important. But in order for us to be successful as marketers, we have to drive growth for the organization. And that means financial acumen, understanding plants and people in our manufacturing locations, and then our customer. There was a lot of really good lessons learned. And again, I was lucky to be afforded the opportunity to have those formative experiences. This concept of growth comes up on so many of my discussions as marketers, we're starting to view our role that way. So talk a little bit about that as it relates to the Pella opportunity that came up and how you see that as an opportunity to spread your wings even further. So very happily employed at GAF and this Pella opportunity came up. 
And I am very loyal. So it's hard to pivot given all the great experience I had had. But there's some really unique things about Pella that I saw in the interview process and that really intrigued me. And that's number one is a historic brand. We've been in business over 95 years and they're deeply embedded cultural norms that translate into the external brand platform and how we interact with our customers, high quality products we produce. So that brand was really important to me. The second thing was a growth trajectory. We had a new CEO that came in that was brand centric, focused on growth and really understood the required investments in talent and people. And then again, in the front wheel versus just the back wheel. So that was a really good pillar. And then the third was really this opportunity to bridge into a more omni-channel approach to marketing. At GAF, we primarily distributed through big box and then pro dealers. And while we do that at Pella, we also have this direct network, which basically this opportunity to create retail moments within the customer journey, that was a big opportunity. And then the final thing is just the culture. So again, Pella is known for this deeply embedded culture. It's rooted in results orientation, learning, but also caring. In today's environment, it's not just about business results, but it's about nurturing our people and our talent and bringing them along. I really align to that. This idea of bringing historical legacy brands into the future, aspirationally, getting to find who you want to be. But the other piece of what you hit on there that I'd love for you to dig into a little bit more is this idea of the focus on employees and culture. Talk a little bit about what that looked like when you first came on board there and how you've evolved that. In one hand, sometimes marketers think about internal brand communications and ethos and external brand as two very disparate things. The reality is the environment that you create for your employees, the sense of purpose in what they do is directly correlated to the result in the experience and the products and the quality that your customers get to enjoy. The head of HR and I actually spent a lot of time when I joined gathering insights. We got thousands of data points externally, internally, stakeholders, shareholders, consolidated all those and found the same themes that were relevant to our internal customers, i.e. employees and team members, also resonated with our external customers. We launched a major campaign revitalizing the external brand. But again, these pillars of inspired design, exceptional detail and pellet passion, really the people and the culture and the caring that enable us to show up in the market in the right way. So many marketers skip that research insight step, but it's what informs all the ideas. Absolutely. I am data-driven. I love great creative and, and bringing that to life. But in order to enable growth, you need to make sure that you've got the right facts and the right processes to know that you're actually winning in what you finish. And then the second thing is the customer centricity. We can, as marketers, sometimes get in an ivory tower and sure. create beautiful things but haven't really connected to the real problem to solve with our customers. So we have infused in a number of ways in the organization, the embedment of customer centricity, and then also this data-driven approach, which has been at Pella for a long time, but in the form of customer insights that then get applied to our our macro strategy. I'd love to learn more about that. But before I do, I want to ask a little bit more about you on the personal side. What informed your passions coming up in the world and how do you think that led to your career trajectory? My father was an engineer. He worked for Caterpillar and Cummins. So no way. Uh, yeah, for a long time. And when I was a kid, I used to go into the plant. We have major projects. It was fuel injector pumps is what's his specialty. 
tons of patents. And the important thing of that was really celebrating learning. It was this constant problem solving and listening and learning and then never giving up. So that was my dad. My mom was also a consummate learner, voracious appetite for reading, went to take additional schooling when she was very late into her career. The principles of learner mindset and really listening to adapt strategy and thinking was part of my growing up and, yeah. and something that was accelerated through my career, but really was the bedrock of, of who I am. It wasn't until probably a year ago, Emily, that I realized that not everybody in the universe is maybe as growth minded as I am. And I think to be in marketing, you have to have that passion to keep up with things because the pace of business is just changing so rapidly. It does. It's also connected to talent. I like to say to my team, when I was early in my career, I thought I knew everything. And you progress further and mature and learn and you get more wisdom. And what you learn is that you don't know everything. In fact, you don't. you don't know so much. And that's when you really realize that creating talent and people and investing in them to get best in class ideas and thoughts, that's how we're good leaders, not individual contributions. And that what we learned and knew and succeeded on today is not what's going to bring us into the future. The last conversation we had, I picked up on that from you, that even as you're focused on improving your customer experience, you're even more focused on making sure that the internal employees understand the brand, can deliver on it, understand how to make all those touch points magical. Tell us more about what you're doing internally and externally to improve the customer experience. When we took a step back on the brand, we also took a step back and said, how are we showing up? One, are we consistent? So when somebody goes into Lowe's, goes online, goes into our Peladirect sales network, are they getting the same experience? Do our brand pillars really, are they brought to life within each one of those channels consistently? The second thing is, and we really listen to what our customers want out of experience. As a manufacturing organization, we sometimes get in this hyper-focus of products in a physical sense, whether it's windows and doors, it's roofing, it's siding, whatever it is. We're looking at the physical product and investing all this energy in that. But what our consumers have taught us is that experience is equally as important, if not more important than what the physical product actually delivers. And so we had to reframe our thinking. We went out and we have a, a great agency of record, 11, and, and leveraged thinking both internally and externally and said, what are the pillars of design around this customer experience? So think about things like people, process, content, technology, space, and thought of those in isolated way and then went out and listened to our customers and got deep learning. So we knew the principles of the brand, but how did that brand translate into this customer experience? And we did it mostly in the form of IDI, so in-depth interviews, not just a piece of paper, but three, four hours with homeowners and trade people to really understand how we were showing up and really what the big problems to solve were. So we aggregated all that work and fast forward, we came up with design principles within that customer experience, KPIs, and how we were going to hold ourselves accountable, and then a project map to execute on. And over the last two to three years, that's manifested in digital investments, in technology platforms, and then a physical revitalization of our PDSN spaces, as an example. So really hunkering down. And what I'll say is we make great work, but we've got a long way to go. 
some of the concepts you're speaking to are themes that I hear over and over. Brands that build product and they're engineering based get focused on the product and not the experience. You talked about the focus on brand before you could focus on customer experience. And I think that's critical. Until you know what those values are, it's hard sometimes to make sure the experience pays that off. But I love how you've operationalized your brand through all your people systems. Sounds like you just have a real rigor and discipline about customer experience that I don't often hear. I like to be very strategic and and futuristic and big thinking, but that is, I'll say, tempered with a process orientation. What I think is in order to be clear and crisp on accountability measures and what success looks like and vision casting around that for your team members, you have to know what are those KPIs, what are the processes that you're going to embed within your organization to make sure everybody is crystal clear on what that end state goal is on the experience. We have to keep working this, but the principles and bringing people along on what the vision is, we've done a lot of good work. The team has done a lot of really good work on that end, and it is very connected to the brand ethos. When I met you, I was so inspired by how many disciplines fall within marketing at Pella and how critical that is, I imagine, to your success in delivering on this customer experience you speak of. We do have a broad team here. We have a general management structure, which is P&L responsibility around uh, product platforms. We have a design and insights and innovation team. And think of this as really constantly focusing in on infusing those new insights. They have an online community. They do in-depth in-person interviews. So, you know, this methodology. And then embedding, again, I've used that word a few times, but It's important. It's about making sure the foundational elements of your strategy are right. And so that team works on industrial design and then owns the overall innovation funnel. So that's on the product side. We have a customer experience, customer service team who's actually picking up phone calls and connecting that overall experience. We have a corporate brand team. We have a digital experience team and overall digital marketing and then we have the PMO, which is for the, for the enterprise. Why is that important? I go back to accountability. When we make a decision at the front end on a physical product or an experience, if we shortcut the process on getting insights, we pay for it in the form of not only P&L performance, but also the phone calls that we're going to pick up in our call center. The team can be really focused. There can be continuity and vision. And we can enable and help support our organization and our sales team and operations team in really driving success on this holistic platform. One of the questions I get most often from clients is, what should my team look like? What should I insource? What should I outsource? What does the marketing team of the future need to take into account? I'd like to better understand how you think about team structure and what role you play in working with some of your key leaders to bring them together. First off, there's no right approach. I do a lot of benchmarking and mentoring up and down, me learning from others, then reverse mentoring. I try to collect all this information about best-in-class practices. What I found from all those insights is that there really are not a lot of commonalities around this. I really feel strongly this connectivity between product and brand and experience. When I'm seeding a vision, you want to say, look, here's what it looks like, but here's why it's important. Here's what problems it solves, and here's how we're going to deliver for the business. Sometimes we, as marketers, sometimes go and say, I need X financial expense investment or X amount in talent, or I want these people on my team. And we don't always think through, well, look, 
how is that going to benefit, in this case, our broader constituents and cross-functional partners? Starting there is a good approach. The second thing I'll add on, you touched a little bit, insourcing, outsourcing. Our philosophy and my philosophy is that in order to bring on the right talents and capabilities, you have to insource part of this work. And really that's about ownership of strategy and making sure that as digital evolves, that you have great people on your team that are telling you, look, we're off course now because right. the customer has changed and expectations have changed. What we've done is we took a lot of the work that was getting done by external agencies and insourced it. Now, the caveat is, I also think it's really important to get external perspectives in a consistent manner. We have the baseline in-source team that would be the minimum amount of work to keep them busy at all times. Because you also have the financial implication of stacking up too much in an in-source team. And there are just naturally are ebbs and flows in demand for marketing brand asset creation or digital work. Then we rely on a network of really impactful vendors and partners to append that internal strength. For us, fully insourced or fully outsourced, neither of those would be the right approach. And it's really this hybrid approach that's worked really well for us. Optimized costs, but also getting the best quality work. This idea of knowing why you're doing things in the first place. I do a lot of strategic facilitation with our clients, and that's actually always where we start is the why. You know, you hear about the five whys, or we call ours why nirvana. Like if there was a nirvana state, what would it look like? And what's preventing you from getting there? I find that so many of the clients we work with often don't have the opportunity to hear the conversation at the executive level to understand why the decisions are being made and what the context and how that trickle down happens. Can you say a little bit more about how you can make sure those internal and external partners know the why so they can execute? In order to deliver the why, we have a strategic planning process as an enterprise. And it's a rigorous process that the team actually did some really good work this year in making sure we're going deep enough in the organization to even create the plan. Problem number one sometimes is that the strategic plan and the thinking of all the whys and why you need to do things and how you're going to do them happens sometimes at too high of a level in an organization. So we have a broad span of leaders across the organization that are involved. And we look first, very big picture macro. So industry environment, consumer trends, et cetera. We start really wide funnel. And then we get deeper into, okay, at the enterprise level, here are the goals and objectives we have. And then we get even more granular and we create something that we call the leadership agenda, which is our mechanism for governance, but also our communication vehicle on what matters most. Our leadership team spends a lot of time on not just what it is, but why it's important. What are the insights that we gathered that led us to this? Our CEO reminds me all the time, you say something, you've got to say it again, and then you have to say it again and again and again. And when you're sick of hearing it, you maybe have communicated it enough to your team. The why is this continuing to ask questions and intellectual curiosity and consumer curiosity. But then it's also about communicating the cadence at which you do it and then the way you frame up the problems to solve for your organization. We spend a lot of time on that. One of my greatest leadership values is alignment. If people don't know where you're headed and how to get on the bus and how they can help, it all falls apart. That's core to communication strategy in general. Especially in marketing, because we use this term a VUCA environment, but it's volatile, changing. There's a lot of ambiguity in the world today, especially in marketing. All these things changing. If your employees can't come to work every day and know what their purpose is, know what goals they're aligning to, you just have churn. To me, it's 
better engagement, but also better productivity from the team if you're really clear on what those objectives are. I imagine getting all of those people the right information at the right time and getting them aligned to deliver for your customer can be challenging. I briefly mentioned some of the different ways we go to market, but at the highest level, we sell through Big Box. We have a great partnership with Lowe's, and that's been a longstanding relationship that we really value. We have this Pella Direct sales network, and this has been a really important part of our strategy for a long time. It's important because the owners that are in the Pella Direct sales network are just fiercely committed to their customers and understand the local market dynamics and are very well educated on the products and everything about Pella. So that's a big part of our distribution network. We have a luxury portfolio that sells directly to architects. And then we have pro dealers. So think about major distributors within building materials overall. So they would sell other building materials products. And we also distribute through them. There is a lot of complexity in how we go to market. I know you said at one point in time that Pella has been focused on the retail part of what you do for a very long time, but B2B is growing. As a company, the roots of our company, we really have been focused on trade for a long time. We created a retail division, and that's been a great opportunity to really understand our customer better and get connected to them. But really where we're focusing even more now in our digital strategy and our brand strategy is on the B2B side. So strategic target is still the homeowner, but we recognize that the trade contractor and builder is crucial in how your message is delivered and you have to show up and build loyalty there. It's great to have a pretty picture of Joe who has a hammer. He's 20 to 35 and he likes this media channel. But are those really useful? Are they really deep insights? Does it really tell you how you can differentiate and service that particular customer persona differently? We did a lot of work. We have four or five profiles on both B2C and B2B on these trade customers for what the jobs to be done are. And those are principles of how they behave, how they like to interact with products, why they're buying, back to the why. We have a lot of work around that. And then that bleeds into how we execute the strategy. So once you know who your strategic target is and you know what value proposition resonates with them, what you can do to correlate your brand principles to the value proposition they're looking for, then you can create customized content, digital strategy, all the executional parts of how you bring that to life. So it's customer-based and it's data-based to make sure that we have the right strategy in place. So many of my business development calls, people say, how much should I invest in persona? I always come back to, how are you going to use them? You talked about content and digital strategy, and that's often a really good place to start, but it also creates this unbelievable alignment throughout the organization of which customer are we talking about today? So do you guys use it in that way as well? We're always evolving, but yes, we actually recently created a segment marketing team. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we recognized is that we really needed to dial up the importance of this work. And we wanted people that were dedicated and every day woke up to think about these customer personas. Most recently, we actually added a head of customer experience. That's really to enable acceleration within these personas and journey mapping that's more granular. And then again, connecting that to the execution. Tell me a little bit more about the e-commerce channel. So during this omni-channel work that I referenced earlier, we got a lot of big ahas. Some of them feel really obvious. Sometimes, you know, those are the jewels that right. you know, you're like, we should have 
No, Matt, in many cases we do, but the reinforcement from hearing it from your customers is really, really telling. So take a big picture look at the window and door industry. One of our biggest problems to solve is that it's highly complex. Mm. The people enter into this, and this is both on the trade side as well. On average, on the consumer side, they buy windows once in their life. There's so many different material types and sizes and complexity, billions of different options. And because it's an infrequent purchase, they're really looking for somebody to simplify it. That was one big nugget. The second one is that when you ask them what information they expected to get, but didn't, it's price. Always. (laughs) They have no idea how much buying windows costs. So that was one problem to solve. And then on the other hand, we continue to see this rapid evolution of the requirements of transacting digitally online, categories that we never expected to be online shopping, like cars, as an example, or driving significant growth, which has been exacerbated by COVID. So there's these two big problems to solve. As we thought about this journey, e-commerce was a natural evolution in our distribution channels. This isn't just about a transaction is in fact, the majority of the value actually comes from direct revenue. It was about the ability to shop, put things in a cart, understand general parameters of cost, improving the ability for them to do research before they actually got into one of our incredible traditional channels and interfacing with our PDSN. So we are in beta right now. We have this available in Chicago and in Detroit in those two markets. What we found is that our retention on site, so the amount of time people invest and how long they spend on the site has improved. Our ability to convert people, again, not on necessarily even e-com, but on the broader overall website has improved. And then of course, there's benefits on Google rankings and in having that transactional capability. So big opportunities still in its infancy, but really excited about it. You talk about the importance of innovation, and I find when we are working on any customer experience initiative for a client, getting them out of the mindset of slowly evolving what they're doing today and really seeing where the market is going and overhauling their business model to a degree to keep up with consumer expectation ends up bubbling up as part of the conversation. So is there anything on the future horizon that you guys are thinking about that's going to disrupt the way you deliver for your customers? I expect us to evolve frequently again, to align with the consumer expectations. When I think about building capabilities, we talk a lot internally about that. And customer experience is a capability. It's bringing in the right talent, putting in the right governance and processes and infrastructure, and then in making investments in technology to cement that. What I would tell you is I think it's a little premature to to say, here is the next best thing. What I can tell you is that back to our trade customers, they're highly reliant on their devices, expectations of this immediate response. We think there's a big opportunity and have actually already delivered some digital products on the market, one of them called ProConnect, that allows them to do order tracking and imagine just a very all-encompassing capability that's at their fingertips that reduces stress, reduces friction, gives them easily accessible 24-7 information. If I had to wager a guess on where our big bets are going to be with some good insight, I would tell you that's somewhere we're really going to double down. And then e-commerce is going to be something that we're going to continue to evolve. And that's not just about this transactional. It's about visualization tools and 
this highly personalized online experience and connecting design to our customers in a technology platform, because that's part of our pillars. There's a few big pockets. The one thing I'm sure of is that we're going to change and evolve and that this is just a big opportunity for investment. That dovetails right into where we're going next, which is the impact of data, technology, automation, personalization, AI, all those disciplines that we spend so much time of our days talking about as marketers. What does that practically look like inside your organization? We have a number of different facets of our organization focused on data and analytics. We have an advanced analytics team Mm. who is data scientists and smart people that take us not just from lagging metrics, but predictive analytics and leveraging artificial intelligence and other much more advanced tools that are well beyond my pay grade, Misty. Um, (laughs) You really need a lot of brains on that stuff. There's a number of layers in there. One is data architecture. You have to start with the right platform. And we're spending a lot of time on that, which isn't sexy when you're talking about customer data management and MVM and master data management. It's harder to get an excited followership across the organization. But if you don't make those fundamental investments, you can't actually serve up the right analytics and information that's going to drive better decision making as a team. So that's one thing. Two is this enhanced visioning and understanding of customer behaviors and that enabling this highly personalized experience. Implemented a number of new technologies and really are at the infancy of that. But imagine this highly personalized both on Pella.com as well as on all this app infrastructure that give us better data. Attribution is a big key. So again, back to how do we monetize the investments we've made as marketers? And then the last thing I would say is just filtering in all these insights and data and analytics that then feed the actual product innovation work in a more digitized way. So this isn't analog Excel spreadsheets and probably really using data lakes and making sure that we're culling out the right information to push it into this funnel to get the right insights. It's a massive web of problems to solve. And it really, it's a question of prioritization for us, but we've got a lot of work going on in this area. I'm shaking my head because the number of initiatives you have shared with me so far is unbelievable. How do you manage all of this? How do you spend your time focused on the right things on the right days? We do have a lot going on. And I think in any organization that is in growth mode, you tend to have a plate that is overflowing. That's the same principle. So one is... Do you know what your strategy is so that when your teams need to make decisions about what to do and what not to do on a daily basis, are they really clear on your expectations on the things that ladder up to this bigger strategy? It's vision casting and clarity around the most important priorities and what they need to deliver. And then I think all these other ancillary projects, some of them fall out so that these big projects can get executed. That has to happen, not just at an executive level, but throughout all layers of the team. So that's one. Two is talent. We get a lot done because it's not about me doing it. Every day I'm focused on, did I bring in the right people? Are they engaged? Did I find the right mechanisms to communicate and vision cast to them? How do I celebrate their wins? And is there the right strategy? But I think when you enable and empower your team, you can get so much more done. And then the third is just drive. We love to get driven people. I find there's this passion in the people at Pella to do more. And that's for our customers and for each other. Sometimes you have to 
recognize when the organization has too much. But I think if you create the right environment, they can absorb more, they're more engaged, and you get more delivered. What do you do for you to stay ahead in your leadership and your development of people? And how are you thinking about personal growth and development as you look ahead to next year? Great question. So one is just is keeping abreast of trends. I've got Harvard Business Review and obviously the business world and Wall Street Journal. So imagine these are like daily feeds of moments that I'm going to concentrate on external factors. I append that with great relationships with agency partners. So spending time with people like you and understanding external perspectives. We use Gartner to get scale and information from the broader marketing community, industry, and aggregate relationships with external vendors. And then I think it's about reading, making sure that you carve out enough time to ingest some of this good information. And then it's listening. So I do live groups and basically they're step-level meetings with people in our organization who are not my direct reports and in most cases aren't even my next level down. I ask them to come in and say, what's one thing that's really working for us and one thing that's not? And we've got great candid dialogue. It's not about levels. It's about just getting the right insights. I do that frequently and find it as a great learning opportunity for me as many of those nuggets end up getting laddered back up as we think about our broader strategy. The great thing about bringing on people that are customer centric is that they are going to give me all sorts of ideas on the external side about their interactions. So example, we have people in our contact center that every day are dedicated to giving great service and answering questions and delivering this experience for our customers. They point out a number of opportunities that they hear about on the phone calls. The benefit of having this broad team is that you get broad insights. And then there's time in the field. That's the final thing that you can get really out of touch if you don't actually spend in-person time with customers. I actually got on roofs in my past career. Windows are a little easier. Spending time with contractors and actually seeing what they do and builders and homeowners. I can't say I've been in market for a while, but that's just another input to make sure that I'm staying on top of what we need to do. You invest so much time in a, a marketing vehicle, whatever it is. And, and then you go in and you see how it's actually interpreted or absorbed by your customer. And sometimes you knock it out of the park and sometimes you just miss. Those are much more impactful than the times when a customer says, it was awesome. It was great. So they say, you didn't do a good job. You know, totally. I don't like this piece of lid. This doesn't work at all for me. Humbling and, and just these wonderful moments that are memorable and really impactful. Do you have that one big failure? Do you have that thing that you look back and you go, gosh, I would have done that differently? There's plenty of them. Early in my career, I launched a new product line and then the housing market demise happened and price plummeted. It, it isn't realistic to say that we would have understood that. But the processes we had put in, into place didn't account for this massive shift in demand. And we set up systems that were flexible enough. And ultimately, we ended up selling off that business, did not make money on it. It was a massive investment. Your ability to be resilient in those moments, to hold yourself accountable, you know, I messed up here. I, I didn't do what I needed to do. It is never going to happen again. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> if I'm going to learn from this, I'm going to take responsibility with my team and accountability. 
and then say this was a win in some ways because a failure drives better results in the future. But that's another thing that's really important to us at Pella. So the first time we launched e-commerce at Pella, we didn't get any traction. And the UX was awesome, but we needed more insights and knowledge. And we hadn't done a good enough job connecting with our traditional channels. We wanted to make sure as a leadership team is that it didn't necessarily, it was a failure, but it was a failure that we wanted to lean into and learn from. And so we actually celebrated it and said, look, let's make sure we have all the right learnings. But team, you tried something, you were nimble, you were fast. And now we're going to deliver something that's way better than what it was in the beginning. And that's what we've been able to do. We only have a few minutes left and I would be sad if I forgot to ask you about content because content is such a difficult subject right now. How do you keep up in that space and how are you thinking about content strategy? This is a tough one. Um, (laughs) The volume of content, as you think about the brand principles, then you think about customer personas, then you think about the channels in which you're delivering And then you think about the marketing vehicles in which this content has to be relevant. What used to just be a 30-second spot now has to be a 30, a 15, a six-second bumper. By the way, still accomplishing a great marketing message in six seconds is very difficult. I wouldn't suggest that we have this all figured out. The most important thing is that you have the right content strategy that you're prioritizing. So when you scale and create assets, think of this as if the base strategy isn't right, then all the rest of the assets that you're developing are, you know, you duplicate for channel and cuts and digital versus TV and and then they don't perform. We base our content strategy in facts. We're really rigorous in testing out how a TV spot does, a digital campaign does. We use third party to assess that. But I think then you can build a lot more confidence in the investments that you do make in content. So that, that would be one thing. When you think about creating beautiful video assets for a premium brand, you also have to make sure that they meet the standards of your brand guidelines and architecture. We've done a combination of low budget, beautiful content that's delivered on TV and then lower budget production around content that's created in some of these other channels. It's still really effective, but we just can't carry the cost of creating TV spots for all this content. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to symantle.com slash blog for more content. You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. In the few minutes we have left, I want to ask you, what's a a core truth or a piece of advice that you always offer in conversations like this? Every day as marketers, we have to wake up and ask why, digging really deep and making sure your team is thinking like that and encouraging that is incredibly important because no strategy, no one idea that we can come up with is going to be right unless 
you're really putting the customer first. Yeah. What's a question you're asking yourself right now about where you're going next? We just had a corporate gathering for our, our sales partners and we were reflecting on the pandemic. Looking back over the last nine months, what I was reinforcing with them is that the strategy pillars that we've executed on that drove incredible growth at the beginning, a Q1, that then got us through the pandemic are actually the same principles that we're going forward in 2021. I think that's because we listened, we learned, we had this exhaustive process around strategy. So it's about creating rigor in those things and then testing them out, role-playing and, and making sure they're relevant even in this changing and evolving world. The question I would ask is, how are you building up these capabilities and talents, governance and technology that enable you to pivot quickly, to be flexible and nimble as an organization? Those fundamentals are going to take you through all of this crazy dynamics. Yes. But taking a step back and making sure your foundation is right and are you building those capabilities is really what we're reflecting on and where do we miss and are the principles right? We're doing just that. We're stepping back as an organization and doing our strategic planning, but we're also putting an ABC plan together because you never know what next year is going to look like and how to pivot on the dime if you need to. Yeah. Scenario analysis at nauseum. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the principles are right. Then you're able to absorb those things. And if you have great people, right? Yeah, totally. So. Well, Emily, I am so humbled to have met you. I'm excited to keep in touch with you. Thank you for your time. I can't wait to share this episode. Yes, it was really a pleasure this morning and uh, looking forward to the same. So thank All right. you for having me. We'll talk soon. Thank okay. you. Bye. Bye. Well, as I said from the outset, Emily is one smart marketer. Her understanding of branding, customer experience, e-commerce, and strategy is pretty impressive. I especially love how she engages the front lines in conversation about ways to improve, and her passion and desire for learning is more than evident through the story she shares about her father. I've enjoyed getting to know Emily, and I look forward to the opportunity to get to know her rockstar team. Feel free to check out Emily's profile on LinkedIn or go to Pella.com to see all the good work she's doing. We'll link to these profiles on our website at marketingsweats.com, or you can always go to samandel.com slash blog, where we'll promote the podcast and tell a little bit more about each interviewee. Thanks again for tuning in this season. On our next episode, I'll be talking to Daniel Stillman, a person I've come to know as a conversation designer and author of the book, Good Talk, How to Design Conversations That Matter where he offers a framework to affect change in your personal and professional conversations. In the meantime, don't forget to give me a review or download all of season three as they're released. I appreciate you for listening and I'd love to hear what you think.